Hey there, this is Jay from Filmstrip dropping in to let you know you're about to hear a classic episode from our archives. Some of these shows were produced before we called the show Filmstrip Podcast, before we used popcorn ratings, uh, had the standard intro song from Frozen Lake 121, or really even knew what we were doing recording and editing the show. However, there's a lot of fun in them, and we hope you enjoy. Just wanted to let you know in case you noticed the differences. Now, on to the show. Continuous Plays Batman series featuring Jay Newcastle and Anna McCoy. You weigh a little more than 108. Oh, real? Let's go. In these spoiler-filled episodes, we will discuss the plots, dissect the themes, and offer our recommendations for your viewing. Continuous Play and Continuous Play podcasts are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing-related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners. Any discussion of the characters, plots, or music from the films is strictly for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. Welcome into Continuous Play's Batman series, where we review Batman Returns. I'm Jay. And I'm Anna. This movie was released in 1992, starring Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Christopher Walken, directed, of course, by Tim Burton was made for $80 million, roughly a little over double what the original's budget was. Worldwide, it made $266 million, was a big hit in 1992, was the third biggest film of that year, behind Aladdin and Home Alone 2, so did pretty good for, for its day. But it's a direct sequel to the, the first uh, Tim Burton Batman, but it's a very different film, Anna. Yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> oh, we're, we're only getting started. Uh, I will say this, when this one came out, I was excited to see it again. Now, I know I gave the last one a, an occasional play rating, but I was excited about this film in 1992. I was in high school. Um, I remembered the other one. I think we owned the VHS cassette. I'm dating myself now of the, the Batman film, you know, and, and I wanted to see this. I thought, oh, man, they're bringing in the Penguin. They're going to do Catwoman. It, it's got to be cool. I was excited to see this film in 1992. Well, I, on the flip side of that, I wasn't. I just, I wasn't excited to see it. I'm, like I said, I'm a girl. I'm not into comic books. I really don't care. And I was eventually going to catch it either on home video or HBO, which I think I wound up doing. But I think this is one, and I mentioned this to you, it's one of those, you know, those movies that you catch on cable or catch on TV and you only see bits and pieces, like you either start it and something comes up and you don't finish it or you see the end of it. Yeah. And you kind of... So, you don't really see the middle, or if you do, it's just in bits and pieces. This is one of those movies, until I sat down and actually watched it for this podcast, it was one of those movies I kept seeing in bits and pieces. Like, I might start it on a Saturday afternoon, but something else came up, or not finish it, or watch it when I was bored or something. I remember going to see this in the theaters, and then when it came out on home video, I guess it might have been about a year later at that point, I remember buying it for the family. Because I said, I, I want to see this again, because I had a an odd reaction to it when I saw it in the theaters. And I remember watching it again when I was a little bit older and watching it again in college and then watching it for this thing. I've probably seen this thing seven or eight times in its entirety. And I have the same reaction to it every time. And that reaction is complete and utter confusion because 
I don't know what is going on in this movie. I don't know how to feel about it. It's so weird. Maybe throughout this podcast we can come to some resolution on this. I can't give you one word for it, and it's creepy, and it's creepy for Tim Burton. You know what? And that is saying a lot. And That is. that You have hit on a good point. This is creepy even for Tim Burton movies. And now we talk about Tim Burton here in 2010 because we know his work and have seen a lot of his stuff. But at this point, he was still establishing that creepy reputation. I think this one nailed it once and for all. All right. And before we get any deeper into this thing, let's do a quick plot summary. I'm going to tell you, folks, I'm going to try to give you all I can in this, but this plot's a little weird. Okay, so just follow me here. Batman in this film basically has two new enemies in Gotham City. The Penguin, who is a warped, deformed individual who is bent on being accepted by Gotham society. He was a baby that was thrown out by his parents uh, when he was born because he was deformed. He now wants to be a part of Gotham society. And a crooked businessman named Max Shrek, played by Christopher Walken, who is basically trying to rob the city of all of its power. We also have an, an interesting side character here, the Catwoman, who is real name is Selena Kyle. She was a secretary for Shrek, and she discovered his diabolical plan, and he threw her out a window only to have her resurrected by cats. Anyway, she is kind of bent on vengeance of some way. She's tearing up his store. She's after him. But, of course, she crosses paths with Batman. Batman along the way, of course, is uh, still played by Michael Keaton here. He's the only person that doesn't believe the Penguin is legitimate. He thinks there's something wrong with him. He ultimately exposes the Penguin and Max at the same time. And in a big fight at the end, Batman, of course, takes out the Penguin. Catwoman takes out Shrek. He and Catwoman have developed this relationship, but she knows she can't be with him because of his tortured psyche and her tortured psyche. And the film ends with him looking out at the bat signal and the cat woman standing up in the bat signal. And that's about as easy a plot summary as I can give us right off the bat. Anna in this, there's something weird about this film. Okay. We said in the beginning of the last one, what the first thing Tim Burton did was he brought Batman to the screen fast. And in this one, it's a few minutes before we get to Batman. We open up with this really disturbing scene of this child being born and the parents discarding of it. I mean, you're a parent, Anna. We've established that on this podcast. What? How did you take that? Well, I was very disturbed. First off, they kept the kid in a kennel. I wouldn't even keep my dog in because I love my dog more than that. Um, number two, they take this little helpless baby. Yes, I know he's deformed and he's got those little penguin hands, but he is still your child. You're supposed to love him no matter what. And they take him and dump him into the icy river in a baby carriage. Just this little baby just floating in a baby carriage down to the sewer with his little penguin hands. And I mean, while they sip martinis, that first off, that was disturbing on so many levels to me as a parent. I don't real as a parent, I don't really like to watch anything where they harm kids. It kind of yep. hits close kind of hits close to home not that i liked watching them our kids before but i just take it a little harder now that i'm a parent and um i just that just disturbed me and they got the kid in a kennel i don't even keep my i keep my dog in a kennel but at least you can see out of it yeah it's very very creepy i think you said that from the outset this is creepy and 
again, I don't know what time period we're in here. We got babies being born at home, so apparently Gotham's hospitals aren't that great. And and this this aristocratic family, we get that from just the way they're dressed and how they carry themselves. They're so ashamed of this kid that they're just going to throw him in the icy river. And this is the opening five and a half minutes of this movie are them with this deformed baby who eats the cat and then them throwing the baby in the river and the river winding into this underground abandoned amusement park tunnel thing that has all these penguins in it. I, I It's weird. There's Again, there's five minutes into this, and I don't know what movie this is anymore, okay? Beyond that, that's just the opening sequence. Then we, you know, we get into this... Uh, Shrek and the mayor, and he's trying to convince the mayor of the, to build this power plant to because you can never have enough power, mayor. And my thought is, okay, if you're generating a power surplus, they do this whole thing like Gotham has a power surplus. We we can't do that. Let me tell you, I grew up as as the kid of a of a man who worked in power production. There's no such a thing as a power surplus. They are selling that off left and right. If you're making more than your city's using, you're outsourcing it. Okay, call California. They need some. Okay, you can send it down the lines. This is the 1990s. Come on. We've got this power surplus, and he's trying to build more power plants. It seems like such a weird motive. But, again, we see this this mayor and, and Shrek are at this their Christmas tree lighting. They're going to light the tree or whatever or something like that. I don't know. They're having some sort of ceremony downtown again. And it looks like a completely different town than the last time we saw Gotham, by the way. This looks totally different. Three years have passed. I guess all the damage that the bat plane did shooting up the street, it changed the whole layout of the city. But we've got this different city square now. We're seven minutes into this movie before we ever see Batman. And why do we see him? The crazy clown carnival people attack, and they show the bat signal up. This is exactly what I thought when I saw Michael Keaton. The signal flashes in his face, and he turns to the camera, kind of like the dramatic gopher, you know, in the YouTube videos. And I said, as if to say, oh, I'm in this movie too? Because we got a Batman movie, and he's not in it for the first ten minutes. So, well, when you told me gopher, I thought of the Caddyshack gopher. Yeah. I'm like, like, maybe maybe Michael Keaton needs to make dolphin sounds or something. (laughs) I'm paying him $10 million extra dollars to go, I'm in this movie too? (laughs) I mean, he looked lost, and at this point, so am I. I don't know what's happening. I don't know who the circus freaks are. Now, let's let's compare this to what we already have, okay? In the first Batman movie, we knew who the bad guys were, Carl Grissom and his gang. We knew who the henchmen were. One of them was Jack Napier and his dudes, and we knew what they were doing. We're, we're, we're the mob, and the cops are after us, and we're going to go clean out the plant because they're coming after us. We had motives. We had bad guys. We had everything set up. In this movie, we have a baby thrown in the river. We have deformed hands, and we have the circus attacking a people during Christmas. I don't know what is going on. And, and then on another thing, this is one of my pet peeves of movies that I think I've seen Ghostbusters 2, is movies that came out in the summer but are set at Christmas. Yes. That is a pet peeve of mine. And I even went back to Box Office Mojo to check, and I'm like, this came out in June, really? Yeah. That is just a pet peeve of mine. If you're going to set your movie at Christmas, make it come out November or December. Don't set it in – don't do it in the summer. That drives me nuts, but – that's that's another reason why this movie's just lost. It doesn't know what season it is. It's very, very weird. And, and part of this whole plan of the Penguin and the Circus Freaks is they kidnap Shrek. 
And the reason they do is not to kill him, and not because he's a bad dude, because they established that real quick, too, that he kills people and throws them in the sewer and all this. And, you, and w- the first time we see Danny DeVito come out as the Penguin, it's it's eerie, it's creepy, it's grotesque, but he's trying to be funny. And it, I didn't know how to read him. I, I get the idea that we're going to have villains that have some bit of a reason for being villainous. We've had that in movies before, okay? But I feel like this is a product of the 1990s, the early 90s especially, okay? Jack Napier was a was a gangster who was thrown in the vat of chemicals and went insane and became the Joker. He's just a bad dude, all right? And, and, and in that film, he's established as a bad dude for life. He killed Bruce Wayne's parents. He's bad, right? Right. The Penguin's only thing is he got discarded by his parents, was raised by penguins. Okay, sure, I'll go there, fine. And he, he's got all these circus people that live with him. Where did they come from? And he's got apparently money to build weapons and minions with, but whatever. And his thing is, I want you, respected businessman, to get me in with the big boy society. Really? I think what they're missing in this whole plot is that he, I don't know if he's necessarily, the penguin is necessarily looking for a place to fit in. And I wonder if that's it, that because you said in the plot summary that Batman's the only one who doesn't believe him. Yeah. He's look. He's saying, "Oh, but I just want to fit in. Isn't it horrible that I can't just fit in?" But really, he's wanting to take revenge on the society that cast him down into the sewer with the circus people. I agree. I, again, I think they flash like this one scene where there's all these people disappear, kids disappear from the circus or whatever. And I think you're supposed to believe that Penguin has been abducting people for years to create his own family or whatever. But we, we don't ever get that. We don't get that from him at all here. We just get this grotesque, hideous little man who now is trying to weasel his way into something more than what he's got by going through this shady, corrupt, evil businessman who's a completely creative character and nothing to do in the Batman universe. He was created for this film. I'm okay with that, too. That's that's fine, because Walken's okay in this. I already feel like we got too many bad people at the same time here. I, I can. Who are these people? We don't know anything about them. And, and you don't have to spend 30 minutes setting things up. They spent six minutes setting up Jack Napier in that last movie, and it worked perfectly. For the time they did take trying to set up the penguin, it wasn't effective and they didn't do a good characterization of him. So now we're back, we're getting away from the the first movie where Batman and the Joker were intertwined in their psyches kind of to basically this guy wants to kill Batman just because he's Batman. So we're getting more into that kind of mind frame for this movie, which is going to set up the Schumacher movies and the disaster that they are. And you've hit on something that I didn't talk about in the last movie that I want to talk about for this. And it was interviews I've read with Tim Burton and how he views Batman. And this is, this is his central ethos for Batman. And I think it's flawed. And I think it's why it sets this film going in the wrong direction early. And it, it could have ruined the last one if they had done a, a couple of things differently. And it, it ultimately dooms the franchise that, that he, he's building here. He sees Batman versus the Joker, the Penguin, whoever he's against, as one freak against another freak. That Batman's only difference between him and the freaks that he is opposed to is the fact that he grew up with a better upbringing. That he's got a better chance than the rest of them did. And But at his heart, 
Batman is still a freak, and this world is full of freaks and weirdos and creepiness. And that is how he views Gotham and Batman. And I want to tell you, he's wrong. That is not what works about the Batman story. You hit on it in the last podcast, Anna. Batman works as a superhero because he's just a man who uses his resources and his intelligence to outsmart the criminals that he fights. He doesn't have superpowers, but he's got super money, and he uses it for good. He's the ultimate philanthropist. You know, not only will he fund your research, but he'll also go shoot everybody that's trying to stop your research. Mm-hmm. That, but they set up this idea of Batman the Freak versus Penguin the Freak, and it's it, it's too much. They set that up in the last film. Batman's a freak. Joker's a freak. But they gave you circumstances that sort of explained it. In this one, they're hitting you over the head with Penguin's freaky, Batman's freaky. It's going to be a freak out in Batman Returns. And I think that is wrong. I think that what you said about Burton, that that comes across very loud and clear in this movie. That Batman's the freak, the Penguin's the freak, and they're going to duke it out. And the only difference is that, because even Walken even refers to it in one of um, Shrek's speeches he said he tells bruce wayne ask him how can you support that guy and he's like well he could be just like you if his parents hadn't dumped him in an icy river y'all could have been prep school buddies and not and i think that line says it all well you know what though but that is even false for the character because the only reason you feel like shrek is going along with this is because the penguin has got the goods on him and mm-hmm. knows what he's done. He's put together all of his shredded documents. He's got body parts of his ex-partner that he killed. You know, all this creepy stuff. Again, and, and you know, the early days of identity theft, by the way. But, I mean, really, he, he's he's blackmailed into this. Shrek is a bad dude, all right? He's a ruthless. I mean, he's, he's I, I want to tell you, Christopher Walken in this is channeling Donald Trump left and right. That is that is exactly what he is trying to be. You can never have enough power. You can never be in charge too much. That's exactly how I read him. But he's only doing what he's doing with the Penguin because he's forced to. Otherwise, I think he'd just as soon slit his throat just like he did everybody else because he's ruthless in his own right. I agree. Michelle Pfeiffer is the only person in this movie that I felt like was bringing the A-game to the acting. And they didn't give her a lot to do. They they set her up as ditzy secretary who then is miraculously zombified and transformed into this cre- freak creature. Again, the freak creature. But I liked her as Catwoman. I thought she worked. She has the ability with just her voice to change the entire mood of a room. Michelle Pfeiffer has a very light and happy and perky voice. And then when she wants to get dark, she'll turn on this deep voice that is seductive and diabolical in the same light. What did you think of her transformation? You know, Selena Kyle, the secretary, reveals to Shrek that she knows that the power plant he wants to build is really just going to suck power instead of keep power. And he throws her out a window and then the cats basically chew on her and she becomes Catwoman. Was that a zombie? Is she alive? What What did you get from that? I didn't really get that much from it. First off, it creeped me out with the cats eating on her. That's just, I never want another cat as long as I live because of that. And I understand why we make fun of people with creepy, cat, creepy cats. I, I don't want cat Unless like I get a rodent in my house somehow. That's the only way I'm getting a cat. It was too creepy for me. Just the cat 
I like the Dizzy secretary. I think she did a good job. She, like you said, she did the real happy, airy Michelle Pfeiffer voice. Mm-hmm. And um, then once Shrek pushes her out the window and the cats nibble on her, and I don't know if she's a zombie or what, and I don't know why cats nibbling on your dead body gives you superpowers. She did a good job, but I'm not necessarily convinced she was right for the role. Granted, I've never seen, because it's so atrocious, I've never seen the Halle Berry version of Catwoman. Yeah. So I I don't really have anything to compare compare her to. I think she did an effective job, but was she the best person for it? I don't know. Well, you know, Annette Bening was cast in the role, and she got pregnant and dropped out of this. So she was the first one. I could see Annette Bening doing that. Well, Sean Young, the the actress from Blade Runner and No Way Out, a lot of other movies and stuff like that, wanted this one bad. Even dressed up in a cat suit and went to the audition, like, hound people. I think Tim Burton hid under his desk when she did that or something. Well, yeah, you know what? It's the smartest thing he did with this film because she would have been even worse. Michelle Pfeiffer has acting ability. And as I said, I felt like, not given a lot to work with, she made the most of it and really showed that transformation of personality. You know, at this point, and, and this is something that we didn't really talk about in the last one, you know, when Keaton puts on the mask and his Batman, the only difference is he basically just fights people now, but he talks the same, he looks the same, he, he moves the same even. We don't get a real transformation with him when he becomes Batman. That's kind of the thing they, they play with later on in, in other films. She really does that transformation, and, and they meet, you know, Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle, the alter egos, meet at different times by dealings with Shrek and stuff like that, and they begin to develop this bit of a relationship, and this is the only thing that they kind of throw in there from the last film is he talks about why his relationship with Vicki Vale failed, is that he couldn't balance being Batman and being Bruce Wayne with her, and it ultimately drove them apart. And I thought that was kind of a neat callback, and was, and it's pretty true to the character. It's hard for Batman to have a relationship with someone, because when you're in a relationship with someone, you worry about them, right? You don't want mm-hmm. them to put themselves in danger. Well, of course, he feels compelled to do this, and he can't keep convincing her that it's okay to do this. I don't know what he saw in, in Selena other than she's very pretty, but that maybe this is somebody who's got a little bit of a wild streak in her too, and she'll understand my dark side. I don't know. I'll say this though. I felt like their scenes together are really disappointing because they're two good actors who weren't given a lot to work with, but didn't do a lot with it either. The relationship in this feels so forced. There's really no chemistry between these two other than they're supposed to be together. And the plot tells you that. So you have to go with it. Shrek and, and Penguin, he helps Penguin, of course, discover his true identity. His real name's Oswald Cobblepot, which is sounds, oh, again, we're going down we're going down roads now that I think are mistakes. And I want to say, we can bring this up. Peter Goober and John Peters, who were producers on the last film and have been very successful in Hollywood in spite of doing things like Caddyshack 2, their, their role in this was greatly diminished because Tim Burton, after the success of Batman, had a lot of power. And he made a power play with the studio and really pushed them to the side. They're executive producers in this, which means they basically helped get the financing together, but they had almost no say in the plot. Tim Burton had a lot more say in this now. And I, will, and I feel like, like I said from the outset, his ethos about Batman is flawed. And he sets this film going in the wrong direction from the get-go, and you can see it throughout the film. The characters' names are weird. It feels like... it feels for the first time like this is a campy comic book 
it doesn't feel remotely real anymore, even in the movie sense of real, you know, where you can suspend disbelief and you can get involved in a world. I could get involved in the last Gotham City and Batman, even for all of its cheese and camp. This one, I'm out of it from the get-go. I feel weird about the characters. Everything is creepy. I don't know who these people are. And I'm beginning to not care because their motives seem really paper thin. And, and, and this guy discovers his identity only to blow it by attacking people and starting to kill people again. It didn't make any sense. Why, why didn't he just come up and say, I'm the new crime boss. Deal with me and my flipperness. You know, if he's the penguin. Same is if from the first one, I described it as a very comic booky. Yeah. It's, I know that's not a real word, but mm-hmm. it's very to me. It would to me. It's what I would expect the comic book to look like. This one is cartoony. There's a huge, there's a huge difference. It's, I mean, it's, it's cartoony. It's unrealistic. It's bordering on stupid it's just very the whole feel, the art direction, the cinematography, whatever you want to call it, is very cartoony. And I know how we kept joking last time that they were borrowing props from Roger Rabbit. Yeah. This this feels more cartoony than Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit had cartoons in it. Oh, I agree uh, totally. It's and it, and it betrays everything. And I realize that the penguin's real name is Cobblepot. That's that's true. But everything else about the origin is is. Now Tim Burton's reimagining of this dark origin of this character. And in other words, we're going to have a villain who's only a villain because his parents tried to kill him when he was young. Otherwise, he would have been fine. And I don't think that that doesn't really get why I have a again, it puts Batman and the villain of the film on the same level with each other. And I don't think that works. I don't think you can have these blurred lines between the good and the bad in a movie like this. This movie is so if we're going to be comic booky and we're going to be cartoony, there's a good side and a bad side and they need to line up and go with it. This tweener stuff doesn't work because now why can I root for Batman to beat up the the poor deformed kid? Uh, that's what we're asked to do in this movie, and it feels weird. This whole, the be, like I said, the best word to describe this is creepy. And the yeah. other thing, talking more about Selena slash Catwoman, is I couldn't understand what she had against Batman. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I, she, I'll tell you, he got in her way of killing Shrek, and that is it. I think that's uh, totally okay. it. I think he got in her way of killing him because he was like, "Who are you?" And I also think. She knows who he is from the get-go. I think she knows you are not you are Bruce Wayne because the way she reacts to him the first time she sees him out of suit. I think she knows it's him. And when they're at the house and they both see the news bulletin and they have an emergency to run off, I think she knows exactly what's going on. She's just trying to live in two worlds the same way he is. But I, I think that's the only thing. He got in her way and she was bent on one thing revenge on the guy who killed me so we took catwoman who as a character by the way is a master thief all right like a cat she can slink around she's sneaky and we basically made her hell on wheels and stilettos with a whip who is who is a woman scorned bent on revenge and i think that is absolutely wrong and fails miserably on the screen it it doesn't work and it seems, again, it seems weird. It's like, why, you know, you could just go, hey, Batman, get out of my way while I kill this guy. He did throw me out of a building. Because remember what we established in the last film? Batman kills people, right? And if that's true, then Batman should go, by all means, go right ahead. I mean, really. 
Well, I think also they could have, like they did with the Joker, and they kind of intertwine him and Batman from the point where Batman pushes them into the chemicals and makes them to, to the later we find out that he killed Bruce Wayne's parents. And they do this in the cartoon. I used to watch the cartoon religiously. Um, they they could have intertwined Selina and Bruce a little more, or yeah. Batman and Catwoman. And there's no kind of inter, intermingling with that. They could have done that and gotten rid of the pink penguin, kind of used her as the villain and intertwined them more if they had done a script the right way. I, you know, I, and yeah. gotten rid of the penguin. And I think that would have worked just as that would have worked better because that was one thing that made the whole first one work is like I've said, and we've said, but in this one too, is that Batman is the thinking man's hero. And he's got this kind of bruised psyche from watching his parents die. And he's bent on revenge and he, he's just got that simmering in the back of his mind all the time. And he's not, I think, I don't know if he necessarily wants to help people or he wants to ease his own mind by going out there and avenging his parents' death is why he does it. I don't know yeah. if he's necessarily out there to do it for the greater good or he's just wanting to avenge his own personal demons. Well, see, the thing and, is, though, that, that he did that already. He's already killed the Joker. So if that's the case, then there should be no more Batman. But he's when, now called into action by the police because they, they had that signal going, so you get this idea that for the last three years, he's been the on-call special SWAT team, whatever he is, when they got problems they can't handle. They just don't, this whole, like you say, there's nothing really more to say than this whole movie is one creepy mess. It's it, just it a is. mess with the penguins and the cats and the people dumping their baby and Christopher, Christopher Walken is just creepy. He can play creepy really good. We, he, yeah. He, he, the only thing he's not creepy in is a Saturday Night Live skit. I need more cowbell. <laughs> this is true. But again, his motives are kind of weak in this. We, the big showdown comes when the Penguin decides he's going to ruin Batman by making Batman look like the bad guy. So he takes over Batman's car, which, by the way, infused with a lot of modern-day technology. we got Bluetooth and you know video phones and all that stuff going mm -hmm. on in this car. But he takes over the car, and the car's shooting up the city and messing stuff up. Well, Batman finally figures out how to reverse it, breaks away, and, of course... As by a miracle of his own technology, has figured out a way to capture all of these awful things that Penguin has been saying about, I've played this city and they don't know what they're getting. So Penguin comes out to run for mayor because they're going to impeach the mayor. That's Shrek's big plan to put the Penguin in the mayor's spot. Penguin's going to run for mayor and Batman, and this i got to talk about this scene, takes over the radio frequencies downtown from a remote location, takes over a standalone PA system, and, and puts the Penguin's words in stereo to the crowd, and at one point is just backing the CD up and letting them hear one phrase over and over, and then at one point reaches down and does a wicka 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 scratch with a CD. All right? Now, first off, there's no way in the world that would ever work. Two, it just comes off as cheesy. The plot point is that Batman was right all along, and this guy is not who he seems, but the way they execute it, is poor. I thought that was, it just felt weird. It's like, if he's got that kind of technology, how did the penguin ever take over his car? 
Well, you don't think he had Lojack on the Batmobile? <laughs> you know? I was just, I was just thinking. T- did you not realize that they had CD, re- they had DVD rewrites or CD rewrites in 1992? I, I didn't see that till I was in college. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Batman's got like a CD player. Something I do have to say about about both these movies is. Is like some of the technology they use is technology we use now. Like so, yeah. obviously it wasn't that far fetched. Like you said, the blue, like the Bluetooth and the videos and because uh, I mean we have friends who have a newer car than we do and they've got the backup camera. You know, you yeah. can flip the little switch in the backup camera and the navigation system and the GPS is like turn right at one fifty two. You know, it's just. I mean, that's something I did find in both these movies that was just fascinating is that the technology wasn't that far-fetched. Yeah, it really wasn't, yeah. You know, like 30 years later, we are using it now. But um, I couldn't figure out, um, yeah, so look, you're looking at a CD rewritable in 1992. But the other thing I was going to say about Shrek is he he decides that the penguin's going to be mayor and stuff. I don't, from what, you can tell me whether I'm totally missing something, which I could be, but I wasn't under the impression that the penguin wanted to, he just wanted Shrek to get him in society, and I wasn't sure that he wanted that or anything, he didn't see. There's, like, there's, there's a reason for this, okay? Now remember the what Shrek's motivation is. He wants to build a power plant that's actually not producing power, it's sucking power, right? The current mayor is blocking that. Bruce Wayne is blocking that. So to get those people out of the way, he needs to put somebody in place who can uh, do his bidding, essentially. And this guy would be that guy because he's already manipulated him a few times. You can tell the penguin ain't, ain't that smart. He's smart, but he's not that smart. And this is another thing, too. Shrek is set up as somebody who, like, not only has the local department store, he also owns, like, all the industry in town. Where was he three years ago? You know, uh, did Wayne Enterprises just sell off everything? Because I kind of thought Wayne Enterprises owned everything in town. Maybe not. I don't know. But again, that that felt weird. It's like in three years' time, this guy has an entire history that we totally didn't get. Maybe that was on the other side of town in Gotham. The the first film was on, you know, 14th Street to 22nd. This one's the upper side. I don't know. But there's a whole character history here I feel like we're missing out on with this guy but that that's to answer your question that's why he's putting the penguin in place because he's going to have he he wants this power plant that's a power sucker to go into place for reasons well granted he can manipulate the penguin but the penguin still is blackmailing him i mean basically i mean one day you know he might say oh you need to push my power plant through the penguin go um i don't want to today remember i got your friend's hand in my toilet or whatever that just seemed a little contrived and a little stupid to me it does and of course as batman ruins the penguin publicly people you know lash out against him he goes underground gets his minions of the red triangle circus freaks whatever they're called together and launches an attack on the city with all these penguins that have missiles attached to them Batman, of course, has a watercraft this time and comes and attacks the penguin. Catwoman chases Shrek down into this pile of mess. We get these big action sequences. It looks cool, but it's 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 still weird. 
Batman catches up with him. He fights him and actually tricks the penguins into firing all their missiles at the abandoned zoo, which is underground. And in the process of it, the air conditioning all cuts out. The penguin uh, is attacked by bats that are hidden inside of the, the Batman's watercraft. He falls into this toxic waste moat where he was going to drown Gotham's children. That was his other diabolical plan. We didn't even talk about that, that he's going to kill all of Gotham's children the way he was done or supposed to be done. In the meanwhile, Shrek and Selina are having it out. He pulls out a gun and starts shooting her, but runs out of bullets in the process. And in the middle of all this, Batman's trying to intervene and he takes off his mask and he reveals himself to uh, Selina, Catwoman and to Shrek, which I, why? I don't know. Maybe Michael Keaton was like, it's hot in here. I'm taking the mask off. And he, every look in this film is like, I'm in this movie too. Remember? Cause we have all these other things going on. You might forget I'm Batman. He, you know, he gets shot, but of course we know Batman's going to live cause he's got body armor, right? We set that up. Shrek shoots Selena and she's doing the whole nine lives cat thing. And she's like, I got two lives left. And he clicks the trigger and it's empty. And then she pulls out the, the taser thing and electrocutes him basically frying him whole, even though his eyeballs are still intact. And the penguin rises up out of the sludge to, while Batman's getting up from being shot and trying to look for Selena through the mess, he sees Shrek's burnt body and, and the penguin comes after him and he pulls out one of his trick umbrellas and they all have guns and knives and stuff in them. This one's cute. And he's like, Oh, I got the cute one. And then he, he's spitting out all this sludge and eventually he dies and the penguins drag him off back into the sludge. It's very weird and creepy. It just felt icky and unresolved. Because at the end of this, Batman's torn his mask off, Shrek's dead, the penguin's dead, and we don't know where Selina is. Did we get anywhere in this movie? No, not really. And I was just thinking that in the first one, all the Joker wanted to do was make everybody smile with the chemicals. I mean, well, he, he, he had simple motives. He just wanted to kill everybody. Yeah, he just wanted to kill everybody with cosmetics. This penguin wants to take your firstborn child and drown it in a bat of toxin. So. It's, uh, you know, again, this thing feels so 90s. we got this whole power plant and toxins and evil corporations and all this. You well, know, this movie should have been called Tim Burton versus Consumerism. And it's far it's far fetched. Whereas the like I said, the second the first one wasn't as far fetched as this one's just totally far fetched. It's just totally over the top, campy, cartoony, whatever. I, I agree. And we're at the point where we're at the end here. We need to do our usual thing, our play recommendations. What's your play recommendation for Batman Returns? I have a couple of recommendations. I have oh once play to kind of get the whole Tim Burton effect. Uh, once to kind of, if you're cur- if you watch the first one and you're curious to see where it goes, do a once play and see Batman returns. And, or if you want to see some, a bad Batman, but don't want to subject yourself to the horror of the Schumacher ones, then a once play. But if you've already seen it, if you've already seen it, never play it. If you, if you love the new Nolan Batmans, never play it. Just don't play it. Just keep the first first Tim Burton one in your heart and watch the Nolan ones and just skip this one. Never play. Let, let me say this right now. Whether you've seen the first one or not, you don't need this one to do anything. This is a straight up as never play as we can get it. Because as much stuff as Burton got right with the first film, and even with his artistic direction that I'm not totally bought into, 
the fact that he got more control on this and the convoluted plot and the terrible dialogue and the bad scenery and the weird acting makes this unwatchable. These films are identical in length. They're both two hours and six minutes long, Batman and Batman Returns. I cannot tell you how many times I looked at the DVD counter for Batman Returns going, when is this going to end? When is this going to end? When is this going to end? Because I was so bored with it. For all that's going on in this movie, there's nothing to keep your attention. This is a terrible, terrible film. It should not be seen. Even if you've seen it before by George, please don't ever revisit it. But if you've never seen it, see the first one, skip it. This is a never play. This is a bad movie. And you don't need to be convinced that Tim Burton's weird by seeing this. You should just know that <laughs> anyway. Okay, just take our word for it. Never play on Batman Returns. Well, of course, we're only two chapters into this six-chapter series, Anna. We come back next time with the first film in the Joel Schumacher dual Batman films, Batman Forever. For Anna, I'm Jay. See you next time on Continuous Play. Thank you for listening to Continuous Play's Batman series. Check out our website, www.continuousplaypodcast.com, for other entries in the series and other retrospectives. Continuous Play and Continuous Play Podcasts are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing-related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners. Any discussion of the characters, plots, or music from the films is strictly for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. 